So like I said, you might know a little bit about prophets. And, but the cool thing about these prophets back in the Old Testament was they didn't just get a word from God, but they actually got to walk out what God was telling them to do. And so they actually got to live out their prophecy. And so that was the coolest part. And so this man named Hosea, he gets an interesting task. And he gets this assignment that other prophets didn't get, but he gets this assignment that is a little bit ridiculous. And it's honestly pretty embarrassing. And so the Lord brings Hosea and he says, Hosea, I need you to, I need you to marry a prostitute. Huh? You, God, you say, hold up. Who are you? He's not talking to me, right? Hosea, I need you to marry a prostitute. And so with probably a lot of reluctancy, he's probably really reluctant to do it. He, he's probably sitting there like, God, are you, you, what was her name? Her name is prostitute? Is that a person? It's not an occupation, right? There's no way. And so finally he, he's going to do it. He's going to go and, and he finds this woman and her name is Gomer. Interesting name, Gomer. And so he goes and he, and he marries this, this woman. He takes her out of the situation that she's in. He takes her out of where she's been and, and he marries her. And it seems like everything's going great. He's got a great marriage. He has his first son. And then a little bit later he has a daughter and then he has another son. So on the outside, it looks like everything is going great. And so if you don't know anything about Hosea, this man, he was a part of the northern part of Israel. He was, he was a minister into that time, into that day and age. And so he was pretty popular in his area. He was pretty popular from where he's from. So people knew him as a man of God, as a mouthpiece of God. And so he takes this woman as, as his wife. And there's not much, if you go and read, there's not much context to it. You don't really know everything that happens. And so what I want you guys to do is I want you to come on a journey with me and how I read it and how I saw it happen. And so you might not be able to go back and look at everything and say, oh, this is exactly what happened. But just go with me on this. Um, if you are seasoned, we have a lot of seasoned people in here that have been in church for a long time. If you don't think you can learn anything from me because I'm 20, you should probably change your perspective. Even Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he still had people that were speaking into his life. Paul, he wrote everything. He literally knew all about the gospel. Jesus taught him so many things face-to-face. -face. He had these one-on-one -on -one conversations with the Holy Spirit, and he wrote down two-thirds of the New Testament, but it says that he was still going to people for help, and he was being encouraged by others. And so if you think that you're better, and Paul, better than Paul, then... Uh, I don't know. But uh, so again, let me go back to Hosea. And so God says, I need you to marry a prostitute. And, and if God asked me to marry a prostitute right now, I probably wouldn't do it. You know, there are a lot of things that God might ask you to do, and it might look like, oh, that's not God. There's no way I could do that without him. But let me just tell you, if you can do everything in your heart and all the dreams that you have, if you can do them by yourself, you're not dreaming big enough because that's not a God dream. That's your dream, and if you can accomplish it by yourself, then there's no point in having God, right? And so he's given this embarrassing task to, to marry a prostitute. And so again, he finds Gomer. He has this cool marriage, and they're going on, and it seems like everything is going great. 
And then one morning, he wakes up and he's going to start his day. And he looks over and Gomer's gone. So he, he's checking the house. He goes and he's looking in the closets and he's looking in his son and his daughter's room. And he's, he's checking it out. And he's, have you seen your mother? And I'm sure he's starting to get that feeling inside like, she left me. She's gone. She's going back to, to her old ways. She's, where, where is she? And so I'm sure, uh, we, we don't know how long that it actually was before God gave him his new assignment. And this was his new assignment. And we're going to pick up in Hosea chapter 3. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to go for it. I don't want to waste any time. So in Hosea chapter 3, if you want to turn there, you can. If you're taking notes this morning, this message is titled, The Passionate Pursuit. If you don't hear me say passionate or pursuit at all in this message, I'm sorry. That's just what I decided to write down. So Hosea chapter 3, the Lord gives him his new assignment. And again, we don't know how long it was before he was given this assignment. But it says, go again. Love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. So God lets Hosea in on this on this right here, and it says that his wife Gomer is gone, committing adultery. Back in her ways. So this story right here is a representation of, of the love of the father that he has towards his children. And, and in that time, again, he was in Israel. And Israel was in this time where, where they weren't looking to God anymore. They were, they were actually looking to other things. They were looking to material things and objects. And they thought that love was all about things that could be given to them. And, and they were taking this love as something that, you know, it's just self-love. It's self-gratification. And they have this different view on love, and it's very skewed. And, and some of the lies that they believed about love was love can be bought by material things, you know. And, and love is all about doing everything for yourself, and, and love can be found in material objects. And so these are the lies that, that they believed about love. And if I look at it now, we can look in our society today, and that's kind of where we are. People are seeing love in movies and in different things, and we're seeing that love's supposed to be this way, and, and it's not. You know, that's not what the love of the Father is. And so he says, to go and find your wife who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. And so what it's basically saying is that Israel is in this time where they're, they're searching after things that aren't God. They've been influenced by the Canaanites, their neighbors, and they've been worshiping other gods and worshiping other things. And so Hosea goes on this task. He's like, all right, I'm going to go find her. I'm going to go find my wife that was a prostitute that is now cheating on me with many other men. And I'm going to go look for her and take her back as my wife. How many of you would do that? We live in a day and age where people are getting divorced every day, all the time. People are cheating on each other and then there's no... Forgiveness, it's just like, all right. And I don't blame you at all. If I was cheated on, I probably wouldn't get back into that relationship. And so God gives him this task. And so one morning, he's like, all right, I'm going out. And so he goes, and, and he goes to that side of town, you know. 
that side of town where there's people that are in the industry. There's places in Dallas that, that people don't like to go to at night because on a Friday night or Saturday night, I've been to Deep Ellum on a Friday night or Saturday night. It's a little crazy. Actually, last night, um, I work at the Grape Restaurant on Greenville Avenue, and, and there was this woman that came up to my valet stand, and, and she was like, hey, could I, could I use your phone? So she's like, do you guys have a phone I can use? And we were like, yeah, like, what do you need? Who are you going to call? And she, she told us the number. We put it on speaker, and she, she wouldn't tell us who she was calling, why she was calling, and she was very out of it. She had a, a drink in her hand, and and so we could kind of tell her occupation by the words and the verbs that she was using and the different terms she was saying. And finally, after going around and telling us different things, she finally comes out and says, and, and, and we're just asking her questions. We're just like, oh, what do you do? You know, how'd you get here? She's from Oklahoma, all this stuff. And she, she won't give us straight answers. And she's like, I need to call this guy. I'm staying with him tonight. I was like, oh, do you know, like, what's his name? And she's like, I don't remember. I don't, I don't know his name, but I'm staying with him tonight. So we know what this means. And she goes on, and, and she finally says, and, and we're asking her what she does, and finally she pipes up and says, and, and you know, like, I do little side things a lot. And she's embarrassed to say it, but then she finally looks at us and she says, she says, I'm cheap. She looks at us and she says, I'm cheap. And she, she, she puts her head down and she doesn't want to look us in our eyes anymore. And, and I wish, like looking back at this moment from last night, you know, we just kept talking, kept asking questions. I wish I would have gone back and got the revelation that I got this morning when I was just like uh, practicing and going through this and and the Lord reminded me of that conversation. And, and I wasn't able to, to get to the point where I could tell her about Jesus and how much she was actually worth. And if you've been feeling like you're not worth it and you're cheap and you don't belong here, you don't deserve to be here, Jesus paid. If you weren't worth it, God wouldn't have sent his son. He wouldn't have bankrupted heaven and sent you a son to die for us so he can show you your true value and your true worth. And I've said it before, but the value is not something that you place on yourself, but it's actually the amount and the price that someone is willing to pay. And that's what value is. And so God was willing to pay the highest price, sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And I wish I could go back and tell her. So all we can do is pray that she encounters the love of Jesus. And getting back to the story, he goes and he, he goes to that, that part of town, and I'm sure he had to ask some, some women, but I wonder if he had to ask some men. Hey, have you, have you seen my wife? Have, have you seen Gomer? Have you seen, oh, oh. I'm sorry. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that you guys were still together. I, I, I'm so, yeah, I saw her a couple, it's, it's good, bro, it's good. Just, I'm just looking for her. I just need to find her. So I'm sure he had to ask a few people. Oh, I saw her down, down the street. And so finally he walks up to this house, to this place, and, and there's his wife. She's on the selling block. 
getting sold into sex slavery. And most scholars believe that, that Hosea walked in on an auction and his wife was for sale. And Gomer, I'm sure she's, she's up on the, on the block and she sees Hosea walk in in the back room and, and I don't know how she responded. It could be one of two ways and this is how I see it. It's either... She doesn't want to look him in his eye because she's ashamed of where she is. She's ashamed of where she went back to. She's ashamed of what's going on, of what she's living in and what she's doing. And she's so upset and there's shame and guilt all over her because she doesn't want to look her lover in the eye, the man that took her out of what she was in before. And she ran back to it and now she has to look him in the eye when he walks in, and I bet that that was one of the most embarrassing, shameful moments of her life. Or maybe, maybe she was up there, and she looks up, and, and her eyes lighten up, and she's, he came after me. He chased me down. He pursued me, even though I went back to the very thing that he set me free from, even though I ran back to the thing that he took me out of, he still came after me. And in the same way that Hosea chased after his wife is the same way that Jesus has been chasing after us this whole time. How many times have we been Gomer? And, and Jesus comes and, and he pulls us out of a situation and he brings us out and then we're set free. We're living this amazing life. And then one day we, we decide, man, I, I'm not worth this. I don't belong with Jesus. He, I'm too bad with the things that I was in before. I should just go back. And God is demonstrating the love of a father in this very passage and so he walks in on this auction, and, and I wonder if he had to outbid some bidders. I wonder if he had to, I'll take her for five shekels of silver and, and a bushel of barley. I'll, I'll take her for six, seven, and it keeps going up. And finally, he gets to the point where he pays 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley, 15 representing the number of the divine energy that God has towards humanity, five representing the number of grace, silver representing uh, his divinity, and the bushels of barley representing humanity. The gospel is right here. The gospel is right in front of us. And you might be wondering, but, but Hosea, that's your wife. It's your wife. You don't, you shouldn't have to pay for her. You shouldn't have to win her in an auction. That's your wife. She already belongs to you. Psalms 24.1 says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and everyone that dwells in it is his. You are already his. Whether you believe it or not, whether you know it in your heart or not, you are already his. Yet he sent his son, Jesus, to 
buy us back to purchase us so that we can be in relationship with him. And so right here in, in verse 3, and it says, and, and Hosea says to her, you shall stay with me many days. And so what he's doing right here is he starts renewing his vows. In the middle of an auction, he just bought his wife back from being sold into sex slavery. And he starts to renew his vows with his wife. I don't know that that's what any of us would have said. I don't know if we would have started renewing our vows right there. It probably would have been, you know, here's the money, whatever, let's go. We're going home. But right there in front of everyone, I'm sure he's, he's begging on his knees like, please, this is what we're going to do. I just need you back. And he says, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man anymore. So too will I be towards you. And it says, for the children of Israel, and this is where God comes in and he, and he overtakes Hosea. And for the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. And afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord, their God, and David their king. And so Hosea, this is 750 years before the birth of Jesus. And so Hosea doesn't know anything about Jesus yet. So he's actually not saying that Israel's going to return to David, but he's actually using David as a messianic representation of who Jesus is because he's doing the best with the knowledge that he has right there. So he says, we're going to return to King David, really meaning Jesus. And so, this man, after saving his wife from prostitution, marrying her, having three children with her, she runs off, she leaves, and she has an affair, and she, she gets back into her, into her old ways, and he goes and purchases her back. Chases her down, finds her, picks her up, and then it reminds me of another story, Matthew chapter 27 and many some of you might not have heard the story of Hosea but but that is one of the greatest demonstrations of the love of a father and and the love of Jesus that was ever given in scripture so I'm going to take you to the story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 27 it's the story of Jesus going to the cross and in this story there's a man named Barabbas It kind of sticks out to us. And if you don't know the story of, of Jesus, I believe that everyone should hear the gospel. And so I'm just going to give it to you right here within the next 10 minutes. Just going to go tell you the story about this man named Jesus and Barabbas. And so Jesus is on this stage. He's now uh, in verse 11. It says, now Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is what you say it is. And while he was being accused by everyone, the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing to them. He stood silently. Pilate asks, did you, did you hear all of these things? And he doesn't respond. And 
He just stands there. He didn't say one word. And so on this holy day, in the back, back in this time, there was a day where they would release one prisoner on death row. So there were some, some prisoners there, and, and it was up to the people to decide who they wanted to, to release back to be set free where they didn't have to uh, take the penalty. They didn't have to, to be crucified. And so there are all these people, and Pilate stands here, and, and Jesus, and, and Barabbas. So we might be wondering why is Barabbas in the story if Jesus has to go to the cross anyways, you know? It was prophesied he has to do it. So why does it matter who chose who, what happened? He's got to go to the cross anyways. But, but we look at this story, and, and this man named Barabbas is here. And, and so Pilate asks, like, who do you want? So the people pipe up, and they're saying that, that we, want, we want Barabbas. And it's a little shocking to think that, that people would choose this this murderer, we don't know much about him, but we know he's a murderer, he's a thug, he's a, he's a liar, he's a thief, he's a leader of, of, a, of a rebellion. He deserves to be in jail. He deserves the crucifixion. And then we have Jesus on the other hand where all he's done so far in his life is heal people, set people free, deliver people, open blind eyes, open deaf ears. That's all he's ever done. All he's done is good at this point. It's who he is. So he stands here with Barabbas, this rebel, this leader of wrong. He's a thug. And, and then we have Jesus over here, Savior. And they ask, who, who do you want? And, and they pipe up and they, they want Barabbas. So in this moment, Barabbas is thinking like, yeah. I'm sure he's cocky looking over at Jesus, like, oh, I don't even know who this guy is, you know, I'm, I'm the one, you know, he's probably feeling like the one up there. So they, the Roman soldiers come over and they start unlocking his chains and, and it's like, what? He deserves to be there. And then we have Jesus and he's about to go to the cross to die and all he's ever done is heal people and set people free. It says in the word that Jesus, at any time, any moment, with one word, he could have called a legion of angels to come and take him from any situation, to save him and, and destroy all of mankind. He could have done it in one word, yet he chose to be silent on that platform and not say one word because Jesus knew the will of his Father. Because Jesus knew that in this moment, God had to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Jesus knew in this moment that he had to take the place of Barabbas and be treated like a sinner, like a thug, like a murderer. He had to take all of this sin so that one day the Father can look at us and say they're saved, they're set free, they're pure, they're righteous, 
And so in this moment, in this one moment, Jesus knew the will of his Father. And then you look at the story and, and you start to realize who Barabbas really is. Gomer's you and me. Who's Barabbas? That's, that's you and me. And a lot of times we don't respond the same way that Barabbas responds. And we kind of look at it like Barabbas is being cocky. He deserves death and he deserves a penalty. He's probably never going to come back and acknowledge the fact that Jesus set him free. Yet in this moment, Jesus is saying, but no, it's fine, it's fine. I love Barabbas. I want Barabbas to go free. I need Barabbas to go live his life. I need Barabbas to, to go out. So God sent his son to die for someone that he knew would never acknowledge him again. And that's what his love does for us. But how many times have we, have we stood in Barabbas' place and the Roman guards come and take off our chains and we're looking at him and we're like, no! No, 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 don't take me, take, no, don't unlock my chains, don't set me free, I deserve this pain, I deserve divorce, I deserve to be in this, in this spot, I deserve it, Why? Jesus hasn't done anything, please don't take him. But Jesus is saying, no, give me, give me, give me your shame, give me your guilt, give me your fear. Give me your marriage. Give me, give me all of the, give me your insecurities. I'll take them all because I got to take them to the cross because I got to get there. But how many times have we, have we stood on that platform with Jesus and Pilate and saying, I don't deserve this. Don't set me free. I deserve to be in this situation. So we look at it and we start to realize who Gomer is. Maybe some of us have turned away from, from God. Maybe some of us has looked to other things or to people to try and gain that love and affection because we feel like we don't deserve it from a God. We don't deserve it from Jesus. And then we stand on the, on the stage and on the platform with, with Jesus and, and Pilate and we're Barabbas and they go to unlock our chains and we, we want to stay in, the, in those chains and those shackles because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve to be set free. So Jesus goes on, and I'm sorry if I get emotional, but this is one thing that the fathers taught me is I remember I was super scared to ever become a pastor or a now helping to lead the youth on Wednesday nights and having to come up with different sermons and different titles and different things and different events that I have to plan and all these sermons that you got to come up with because it's every, every week and one day I want to be a pastor of my own church and being able to preach every Sunday, like what, how am I going to develop all these messages 52 weeks in a year? How am I going to develop 52 messages all the time? You know, and I got scared and I was kind of like, man, I don't know if I want to do this pastoring thing because I got to preach all the time. 
and I was getting scared and I was, I was afraid and the Lord took me in a quiet place and he said that, he's like, if you only preached on Jesus, if you only preached the cross for the rest of your life, that's enough. Because everything that we have, everything that, that we can walk in, all the empowerment, all the things that we've lived in, all the things that we could do, all the healing the sick and, and healing the lame and the leper, all these things that we can do with the love of Jesus is given to us in the cross. We were given that power on the cross through his spirit. And so, again, excuse me if I get a little emotional in this time, but And then Pilate saw that he couldn't prevail. He let Barabbas go, and then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus. They gathered around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. It's a purple robe representing royalty, and they're making fun of, of him. And then they twisted a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and a reed on his right hand, and they bowed their knees before Jesus, and they began to mock him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Keep in mind, this is where we should be. So I'm reading the story. I put myself in, in Jesus' shoes because that's where I should be, but he took the place for me. And then they spat on him. They took the reed and they struck him on the head. They took the whip and they began to strike him on his back. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off. They put his clothes back on and they led him away to be crucified. So we see Jesus headed to the cross. He's getting whipped. He's getting beaten. He's being bruised. He's, he's getting spat on. He's getting made fun of. And this is where we should be. Jesus took our place. He goes and he, he makes it to the cross. And he has this moment with the Father where he, he looks up into heaven and he says, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And as Christians and as people in this room that have been to church and they understand the story of Jesus and they're saved and they're Christians, but then we start to realize that there are millions of Gomers and Barabbases out there that have never heard the gospel of Jesus. So Jesus was sent to this cross to die for us. And he takes our sin. He takes our shame, he takes our guilt, and he nails it to the cross, Colossians 2, 14, and he makes a public spectacle of, of the enemy. And so in that moment, we're set free. We're already his. He chases us down. He pursues us. He finds us. He takes us back out of the place that we went back to after he'd already set us free. So we have this God and this Father and the Son, Jesus, that, that did all of this for us, and we can accept it, and sometimes we get to that place where we're like, all right, we're good, and that's it. 
we accept him and we're like, all right, we're going to heaven. That's great. I'll go to church Sundays, sometimes Wednesdays. Wednesdays are a little smaller, so some of you just come on Sundays. <laughs> so we think that everything's all good and this is all we have and it's enough, but, but then we realize that there are people out there that have never heard this story. They've never heard these stories, this, this love of a father that chases us down and finds us and sets us free and wants us to go free. So this morning, I'm going to kind of make two different altar call type things, but maybe three, I don't know. But one, if, can I get everyone to stand up to make this less awkward for people that want to come up here? But there's some of us in here that may have never heard this story before. And they know that they're Gomer and they know that that they were once loved by Jesus and they accepted him into his heart and then they turned away from him and they went back to their old ways and, and they started looking towards other things for love and affection and we never, you know, went back to acknowledge what Jesus did for us. And so if that's you this morning, if we could get prayer team to come up here, our elders and pastors to just come up here. If you are in that situation, please remember that this is a place where it is safe. There's no guilt. There's no shame attached to anything that you do this morning. We, op we, we open our arms and we welcome you this morning. So, and so if that's you and, and you've been kind of running away from God, you've been running away from his love and you find yourself back in the things that you were doing before. And, and if that's you this morning, I, I want you to come up to the front. Again, there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's nothing attached to it. But if you feel like you haven't been giving your devotion to God and you've been, been looking to other things for that affection, you can come up here. On the other hand, if you start to realize that there are gomers out there, there are Barabbases out there that need to hear this message, they need to know the love of God. If you are in this room and, and you want to make that decision that from here on out, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, I'm going to present the gospel to people. A lot of my friends are here, Bible college students that are pursuing ministry, but I'm going to answer this, this altar call. I'm going to stay up here because I want to be in situations like last night and be able to tell her about Jesus. And so if you are ready to take up that call, and, and it doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. It doesn't mean you have to be a, a worship leader. It doesn't mean that you have to go and be an evangelist and a missionary, that's not what I'm saying, but every single day of your life, we should be telling people about the gospel. And so if you're ready to make that decision that in your heart and in your mind that, you know, there are gomers and Barabbases out there that need to hear the love of a father, they need to know what it's like to be loved and to be pursued and chased after because, yes, we pursue God and we chase after him, but if we're not bringing other people with us, then... 
Why are we in church? You know, why are we doing this? Pastor Chris says it every week, and he asks, who's, who's not saved, who has not heard this gospel? And, and a lot of times there are, there are maybe one or two people that come up, and the rest are all saved and have been here for a long time. And, and as Pastor Chris says every week, that we got some work to do. There should be people in here that have never heard the gospel. There should be people off the streets. There should be prostitutes that come in here. There should be thieves and, and murderers and liars and stealers and people like that. They should be coming in here. And those are the people we should be reaching. If you look at the gospel of Jesus, he's always hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. I'm not saying that you need to only hang out with those types of people, but if those people aren't being drawn to you, I would question the gospel that you preach. So those are the two things. If you need prayer because you feel like you've been running away from God, if you feel like you've been turning to other things and, and you haven't been giving your full devotion to the Lord, if that's you, would you come up to the front? 